0: Welcome to Gateway Church Cymru, a church where anyone can be transformed by the story of Jesus. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's word. A series which we've been going through on a Sunday night all about revival and if you want the message notes for tonight's sermon then they're on our website gatewaychurchcymru.co.uk and you can uh, forward slash sermon notes and you can get the the notes on there and you can add your own notes to that as well this evening as you can see on the screen behind me Uh, but tonight we're going to continue in our series which is all about revival called revival and if you've got a bible tonight can you please turn to Acts chapter 2 Acts chapter 2 and we're going to read verse 40 to 41 together it's going to be on the screen behind me as well but Acts chapter 2 and verse 40 to 41 together And it says, with many other words, he warned them. This is Peter speaking to the crowds on the day of Pentecost. He says, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number on that day. You know, as I said, this series that we've been going through is called Revive. It is all about. Revival, and as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, a revival is an awakening, a revitalization, a return to a former glory within the church. Basically, revival is when the church falls back in love with Jesus again, when it stops getting distracted with everything else and stops looking at their own lives and filling their lives with themselves. It's when the church decides we're going to live for Jesus again, we're going to seek him, and we're going to put him first again. I know, as I've said, revival, although it affects non-Christians. Revival actually happens within the house of God. It's primarily for the church, and revival is not something that can be mustered up or conjured up by man. A revival is of all of God. It's when God comes in a supernatural way and begins to awaken hearts of men and women, and over the last few weeks, we've been looking at different things to do with revival, and you can catch up on some of those messages on our podcast, but Tonight and over the next couple of, uh, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to start looking at stories of revival. We're going to begin looking at some of the, the famous revivals at the past. And I was quite excited about this because I love reading about revivals. I love studying about revivals. I love hearing what God has done in the past. And you know, even as we do that, it can build faith in our hearts and expectancy in our hearts. And I felt the Lord laying there on my heart just to start sharing about some of the incredible things that has happened in the past. Not so that we can get caught up on those things, but that actually there would be a motivation uh, for us to believe for it again, to trust and expect that God will do it again. So these group of messages are going to be called the stories of revival. Now, the church's first real revival, great great revival, happened on the day of Pentecost, when over 3,000 Jews came to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And you know, that was an incredible day, but that was only a foretaste of what would happen time and time again throughout history. That was only a foretaste of what God was going to do in the generations to come. Now, studies say, history says that by the year 300, there was approximately 14 million people who called themselves Christians. And by the year 500, The number neared 40 million there were nearly 40 million christians by the year 500 so within 200 years there was incredible growth the the christian faith was growing by god and through the message of god but you know we see that god done something incredible back in the bible times the church was growing as we've seen in in the book of acts but as i said right throughout history god has been moving god has been doing incredible things and you know even us here today we are here today because of what God has done within the past. We're here because men and women's hearts and lives were turned and transformed by the power of God. You know, even our church began as a group of people were kicked out of another church because they were moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how this began, you know, and that happened just after the Welsh revival. You know, God was moving in this land, and I don't know about you, but I want to see that happen again. I long for God to move in our land. I long for, you know, many people to be kicked out of the traditional churches and start new churches as God is moving, as God is uh, moving in this place. And since the early 1700s, God has been doing, pouring out revival after revival. There's been some incredible things that God has done. You know, during that time, there's been many notable revivals as well. And tonight we're going to look at one revival in particular. And. The, f- the first revival that we're going to look at is called the Great Awakening, or the First Great Awakening, because there was a Second Great Awakening as well, but tonight we're just going to look at the First Great Awakening, which happened during 1725 uh, uh, all the way through to 1760, and this revival happened, it happened in America, and it also had an impact here over I- in the UK as well. But actually, if you look at history, the revival actually began in the early uh, 1720s. It actually started earlier on, and it carried on. and The most prominent use, the most significant use of this revival, was between 1740 and 1742. Uh, and this revival happened because many of the early Puritans, many of the early Pilgrims, they travelled across to America, and they went to America, and they had this this passion within them. They had a fervent desire and a vision to see this ungodly nation turn to the Lord. Many Puritans went over and and pilgrims went over and they had a heart's desire to see America transformed by the gospel. That's what their heart's desire was. However, as we know from history, America became very prosperous. And as a result of that, many of those people who once went over with this desire to see America changed, they actually stopped relying on God. They stopped looking to God and actually they began to depend on themselves, they began to live for themselves, and they began to, uh, to live for themselves and put themselves first. And what, what happened during the, the Great Awakening, before the Great Awakening, we see, see that wealth actually brought about an incredible complacency amongst the people in the land. People were so happy, they didn't need God, they, were, they had money, they had everything they needed, they didn't need God. And as a result of that, church membership dropped Church membership dropped. And you know what's incredible, what the churches decided to do, this is quite interesting, what the churches decided to do, instead of praying, instead of seeking God, because the churches were decreasing so much, the religious leaders of the churches, they came up with this covenant, and this covenant was called the Halfway Covenant, and this allowed people to become members of the churches without actually accepting Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. That's incredible, isn't it? You know, the churches would actually go to that extreme. Instead of putting their trust in God, they would actually allow non-believers to come in and contribute within the life of the church and be involved within ministries and all these things. That's absolutely incredible. That's how, it shows how apathetic the people were and how distant they were from the Lord. And actually, not only was it that people who attended the churches didn't belong to Jesus and those who were involved within churches didn't know Jesus, but actually... Many of the ministers at that time didn't know Jesus as well. That's frightening, isn't it? Many of the ministers didn't know Jesus. They would allow, just get anybody in just so that they could keep the church running as they thought it should have been running. And they didn't have these churches, they didn't have a true shepherd leading them, a true shepherd who loved God and served God. But, you know, I thank God that even in that mess, God moved. God did something incredible. God is, you know, I thank God tonight that Jesus is in charge of his church. He's the head of his church. And when men mess up, when men fail, when men get it wrong, he won't get it wrong. Because he said he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against them. And no matter what men might do, no matter what people might do to ruin the church, his church will stand. Jesus is coming back for a pure bride. And it doesn't matter what we might do, if we ruin it, he won't have it, he won't tolerate it, and he will do something about it. That is the goodness of our God, that even in the desperation, even in the brokenness, even in the mess, even when it seems like churches are shutting and closing down, God is still in control, and God is able to do something about it. And we see that happening in the great awakening. God began to awake people. And how did he awake people? It was by his spirit. God began to move in the hearts of people by his spirit. It was nobody putting on a nice meeting or a fancy meeting trying to encourage people or stir people up. God supernaturally, by his Holy Spirit, began to awaken people's hearts. And all of a sudden, all these colonies in America, they began to awake from this sleep they had been in. They woke from this sleep of just doing church and allowing anything to go, and all of a sudden, they had a desire to seek God again and to put God first again. And you know, as you study about the great awakening, It was people from all walks of life, people from all walks of life. They had the poor farmers who were getting saved and calling upon God. There was the rich who were turning to the Lord as well, putting their trust in him. All these people began to experience this renewal and rebirth. And it was all because of God. It was all because of the Holy Spirit ministering and awakening people's hearts. And God began to stir the leaders as well. God began to awaken the leaders' hearts in the church. In the churches, God began to stir a hunger within them and a desire to repent of their sins and put Him first. God began to move, and in the early days of the Great Awakening, there was this guy here, Theodore Frelinghuysen. Try saying that. <laughs> I practiced that one. Can you tell, <laughs> Theodore Frelinghuysen? And he was part of the Dutch Reformed Church in New Jersey, and through his ministry. He was one of those people who God began to awake his heart. God began to stir his heart. And through his ministry, many of his church members began to be changed. This halfway covenant that many churches had set up was thrown out. And many people began to repent of their sins and begin to follow Jesus and accept him as their Lord and Savior. And it happened through his ministry, even there. I know some of the first group group of people who responded was actually young people. Young people were amongst the first group of people who began to respond to the Lord and turn to the Lord. You know, actually, it's quite interesting. As you begin to study about revivals and as we look at revivals, it often starts with young people. And, you know, we wonder, why does the enemy go after young people? It's because he knows that if God gets a grip of them, then they can change nations. That's why he goes after them. You know, God wants, that's why the enemy wants to destroy even our youth ministry. But I believe that God is going to reawaken our youth ministry. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that God's going to use us as a church to reach young people in this community for his glory. You know, my prayer is for Dav, for Nat, for Grace, for Will, for and Sam, for all those who come along, all our young people. My prayer is they wouldn't just come along to church because my parents have told them to come or their parents are telling them. My prayer is that God would begin to awaken your hearts. And, you know, I, I don't, it doesn't matter if you like me for that or you don't like me for it. That's my prayer. God, awaken your hearts because when God grips your hearts, He can do incredible things in and through you. And you know, that can have an impact on the older generation as well. And that's what happened within the Great Awakening. God began to awaken young people's hearts. They were on fire for God. And they were the ones who began to experience this regeneration. They began to spread the gospel like never before. And you know, as I said, they became an example to the older people and to the older generation. You know, it's vital. And that's why we need to pray. And I want to encourage our older people Pray for our young people. Please pray for our young people. They're not just the future of our church. They're the church of today. they need it now. God wants to use them now. Please pray for our young people. Cover them. And not just pray, God, would you just help them? Pray, God, awaken them. Anoint them. Fill them with your spirit. That's what we want to pray for. That's what we are believing for here at Gateway Church. And they began to awaken the older people. And you know what? The older people. They going to have a fresh fashion, but fresh fight, yeah, fresh passion. They, their youth was renewed like the eagles. Is, I'm not going to ask you this this evening, but is there any older people here tonight who want your youth renewed? Anybody who need a bit of fresh passion? Maybe you've got stuck in your ways of doing things. But God wants to use you as well. God has a plan for your life and a purpose for your life. He wants to awaken your heart this evening. God is not, it doesn't, it doesn't matter about ages. God wants to awaken the church tonight. Every single person. So these young people began to awaken the, the elder generation, and this began the first spark of the Great Awakening. This is how the Great Awakening started, and there was this other guy. His name was Gilbert Tennant, and he was a Presbyterian. Good-looking chap, isn't he? Gilbert Tennant, he, and he was a Presbyterian, and he was incredibly influenced by, by Frelinghuysen. And he brought about a revival in his domina- denomination. God used him to bring a revival amongst the Presbyterians. And, you know, Tennant, he believed that the deadness of churches was because many of the leaders weren't saved, many of the congregation weren't saved. And, you know, he had a, that was his prayer. God awakened the leaders. God saved them, saved the churches. That was his prayer. And Tennant, he actually wrote a book, and this book is called On the Dangers of an Unconverted Ministry. And this caused quite a bit of a stir during that time. And he got rejected for it. People didn't like him because of it. Because it was the truth. They didn't like the truth. And you know, many people don't like truth. Many people don't like it staring them in the face that there's something wrong. And you need to do something about it and get it right. But uh, but Gilbert, he was so convicted by God that he wrote and shared this message. Now, about this time in 1727... Freling, Heisen and Tennant, they were seeing an incredible revival happening in New Jersey and America. But at this time, there was another man who was going to come on the scene. And uh, this man is known as the father of the great awakening. And his name was Jonathan Edwards. Many of you might have known, might know this guy, there he is But there. I think this style's got to come back. Boys, we've got to get this hairstyle back, I think, and get, <laughs> get the handkerchiefs on around our necks. Uh, this guy was an incredible guy and he was known as the father of the great awakening and he went to Northampton in Massachusetts and he went there to become the assistant minister to his grandfather in the church and his grandfather's name was Solomon Stoddard and he went there just to be the assistant minister at that church and he was at that church for almost uh, his grandfather was almost uh, was at that church for almost 60 years And during that time, his grandfather told Jonathan that they had seen many revivals. They'd seen times of great blessing, but there were also times where the church nearly died out. And you know, he called them these great harvests. He recognized that there were seasons of blessing, and there was also times where, where people walked away and became apathetic. But you know, Jonathan Edwards, he was convicted by all that God was doing. God had anointed him, God had called him, and he had a passion to bring about revival. He had a passion and desire. And in 1730, Jonathan Edwards took over and became the minister of that church in Northampton. Now it's quite interesting that Jonathan Edwards, even though he's known as the father of the great awakening, this guy actually had quite a monotone voice. And he was quite boring. A lot of people thought he was quite boring. Uh, I'm sure many people say that about me as well sometimes. Uh, but but he, he was quite boring apparently as a preacher. And Jonathan Edwards, he had whenever he was preaching, he'd always keep his eyes on the clock at the back of the wall. You know, I'm sure that sounds very engaging, doesn't it? (laughs) Not like many preachers today who move around the stage, especially like Pastor Robbie's here there and everywhere, as he moves around the stage. But his eyes were focused on the wall. But you know, Jonathan Edwards, he spoke under the anointing of God. Even though it might have been monotone, his voice, he spoke under the anointing of God. He spoke gently, apparently. But you know, what's more important, it wasn't about the way he spoke. It was actually by the words that he was saying and who was actually giving him those words. And you know, as he began to speak, his words would pierce the hearts of those in the meeting. His words would grip the hearts of those in his meeting. His words were powerful because it was God's word. God was anointing him. He was so full of the Spirit. He had God's hand upon his life. And you know what happened? As he preached, it had nothing to do with him. It was He was just an open vessel for God. And his, God used him and God spoke through. Revival followed. Revival followed. During the 1730s, the church in Northampton, it felt this incredible awakening and stirring of the Holy Spirit. And it moved them from their lukewarm apathy, from their way of doing things, and they had a new hunger for God. And over a six-month mo- six period, Edwards recorded 300 people coming to know Jesus. In six months, 300 people coming to know Jesus. Who wants that year? I know I do. God, 300. I take that. I, even if it's a year, Lord, I'll take 300 in a year. We long for that. But in, three, in six months, 300 people came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And Jonathan Edwards wrote many books exp- uh, uh, detailing and sharing about what God did in, in that town and what God did in that church. He was a, there are some incredible books out there. And Jonathan Edwards, he was a powerful speaker, monotone, yeah, but he had God's anointing on him. But he, he had one incredible sermon, and you can actually read the sermon online for those of you who are good online, and those of you who like to go on Google and all these things. You can find the sermon. The sermon's actually called "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God." It's an absolutely—if you've read it, it's, uh, I dare you to read it. I challenge you to read it. I've only read part of it. It's—it's it's incredibly gripping, and I'm sure that as he delivered that under the anointing of the Spirit, it would have been even more so. And this. This message was so well-known, it's so renowned because God's presence was on it. And apparently, as he delivered this message, he delivered it in Enfield in Connecticut in, in America. And as he delivered this message, apparently there were people during that sermon who were wailing, people who were crying and screaming. There were people who were so convicted by the Holy Spirit, they thought that hell was opening up and they were going to be swallowed up by hell. And they were absolutely terrified. Imagine that in a church on a Sunday evening. People were, they were afraid for their souls. And, you know, Jonathan Edwards would frequently have to tell him to quiet him down just so he could get to the end of his sermon. Classic preacher, isn't it? He wants to get get all his points through. But it was such an anointing of God. Hundreds of people were saved even under that message. It was all because of the work of the Holy Spirit as he was preaching. And God began to change lives. God began to change lives in that area. God began to move through America. I know Jonathan Edwards, it wasn't just his sermons that, that showed that he belonged to God. Or, or It wasn't just because of his sermons that people were getting saved. But it was actually his life as well. His life was the greatest thing. His life was evidence. He evidenced in his life a love for God and a love for people. I know that's what I pray for my life. God, may I, I be a person who loves you and loves people. You know, not just up here delivering messages or not just up here, you know, just overseeing the church. I want to be a person who loves people and loves you, God. I know I pray that that would be our heart as a people as well. God, we want to love you. We want to love others. They are the greatest commands. That's what Jesus commanded is isn't it? Love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and all all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And his life was an evidence of that. He wasn't just a great preacher. He lived it. It was his life. And God moved in and through his life. And during that time, as there was this incredible revival that was happening in America, God was pouring out his spirit. There was actually somebody else who came on the scene. The God had called, the God raised up. And this other person was actually far more influential than Jonathan Edwards. And he, he's probably a bit more well-known in some circles. And that, the name of that man was George Whitefield. Maybe some of you have heard of him as well. And he was incredibly impacted by what God had done. Now George Whitfield, uh, he he was born in England and he was educated at Oxford. So this guy was an intelligent guy, and actually it was when he was in Oxford he met John and Charles Wesley. What a trio! <laughs> what an incredible great. Uh, imagine meeting them guys. You know we will one day. Uh, but he met those guys, and during his spare time when he was in college in Oxford, he would go around, and he would go to prisons share the gospel to those in prisons he would actually go and help the poor as well and feed the poor this was a man who loved god and he also loved people and in uh, on june the 20th 1736 at the age of just 22 he became an ordained minister he felt god's call into ministry at 22 years old and you know god blessed him with an incredible ministry also with an incredible haircut as well just like the others he blessed him with an incredible ministry. You know, whenever he spoke, just like with Edwards, whenever he spoke, revival followed. Revival followed. I you know as uh, he was requested once by the Wesley brothers to join him in Georgia, in, in America, to, to minister there. And they preached, and, and thousands were saved. Many, many people came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And even after a few months of preaching there in Georgia, He felt God calling him back to England. And when he came back to England, that revival, the great awakening, spread over here. And he began to preach to hundreds of people and thousands of people even over here. This guy, George Whitfield, became famous in America and in Great Britain. And his messages brought new life to people's hearts. It awakened people's souls and revival spread everywhere. Unfortunately, however... There were many ministers and many churches who became jealous of, uh, of George Whitefield. They didn't like him, and it was because of his God-given ability. They were jealous that God was using him and not using them. And actually, it's interesting, if you look back about this revival, there were churches in Bristol that refused him to come into their churches to preach to their congregations. Imagine that. They were saying, no, we don't want you here," just because of this jealousy. But you know what was incredible about Whitefield? He didn't need a building to preach to people. As a result of that, those people in Bristol, they said, no, you can't come here and preach. So he decided he was going to hold an open air meeting, and he was going to preach out in the open air. And at that meeting, there was 30,000 people at that meeting. How incredible is that? That's absur- It's like half of, uh, half of the Millennium Stadium just listening, listening to somebody speak about the good news. Of Jesus just because they'd refused him into that church I bet those ministers were kicking themselves after I'm sure they were furious why didn't we allow him in you know God is moving obviously in and through his life you know and jo- George Whitfield he spoke persuasively he had a loud voice he had a commanding voice but it was a pleasant voice it, he wasn't harsh or anything it was a pleasant voice but he had the authority of God with him and there was this incredible emotion weighty emotion and, and power as Whitfield presented the, the gospel. You know, he spread the light of Jesus to all these people. You know, the incredible thing as well, not only did many people get saved during that time, but also there were many independent movements that, that, that started as a result of the Great Awakening. And also, George Whitfield, as he began to minister, he, brought about denom- he broke through denominational boundaries. You know, we've seen that on last Sunday night when churches of different denominations got together and prayed. That's always a fruit in revival, The churches will come together. It's not about a denomination, it's about the church, Jesus' church. And when the people of God unite, God commands a blessing. And as he ministered, he broke down barriers of denominations that have been around for years. You know, we can see it's an age-old thing. It always happens. People separate off in their own denominations. But Jesus is head over his church. And as I said this morning... It's not going to be an area for Pentecostals and Elims. We're all going to be in heaven together, worshiping our Savior. And you know, during his life, George Whitfield, as he preached, apparently he made seven tours to America, and he preached over 18,000 sermons. I wonder who counted all of 18,000 sermons he preached in his lifetime. That's absolutely incredible. But you know, there was hardly anybody in America at that time, or even here in the UK, who didn't. Impact what God was doing in us through His life. God moved in a mighty way. What was some and tonight I just want to share just to conclude some of the results and the effects of the revival. What were some of the results? Well, as I've said, there were hundreds of new churches started. There were new leaders raised up, or leaders who were all already there who were awakened and surrendered their lives to Jesus. There was actually what happened was that there were people who came to know Jesus and they were truly converted. It wasn't just to put a hand up and then live how I want the rest of my life. There was evidence in their lives that God had moved and saved them and transformed their lives. As I said, denominational barriers broke down as people came together for the sake of the gospel. There was also a renewed concern for missions. People were interested in missions. There was also, which is an incredible fruit of it, more and more young people were entering into the ministry and felt the call of God and I long for that. In my time, I don't want to be, you know, one of the only youngest pastors around. I pray that God would raise up an army of young pastors and call them into the ministry. But not, not only were there effects within the churches and within believers, but actually there was an effect within society. Have you heard of Princeton University in America? Have you heard of Brown's Uni- Brown University and Dartmouth University? Well, they were actually established as a result of the Great Awakening because they were concerned that they wanted to educate the people at that time. So then universities came about as a result of the Great Awakening. Society was impacted. And you know, that's the heart of revival, is that not only would the church be blessed, but that actually society would be blessed. And as we look upon our nation tonight, our nation needs God's blessing. As we look upon our community, Aberama needs God's blessing. We're living in one of the most poor areas in all of Europe. This area needs God's blessing. But it is not out of the reach of our God. God is able to do something incredible in this community that would bring glory and honor to him. And I pray that God would pour out a revival in this church. That he would pour out a revival in the churches up and down this valley so that our community would be transformed. That broken homes would be restored. That those who are addicted would be set free. That those who are lost would be found. That's why we long for revival. And in that time... In New England, it impacted society. Churches were filled. but the, And we see that actually a statistic out of it was that memberships increased during that time from 20,000 people who went along to church to over 50,000 people now as a result of the awakening come in to know the Lord and being a part of the church. And churches were established as well and there was incredible church growth. And as you can see on the screen behind me, this is just one illustration of what God was doing during that time. And so tonight, as we do come to a conclusion, my prayer is that God would awaken the church again. That there would be another great awakening. But it would be the great awakening of Wales. That Wales, by the power of God, was, awakened, or was or woke up again. And you know, just like in the first awakening, great awakening, it didn't happen as a result of somebody stirring it up. It came as the Holy Spirit began to convict hearts and lives. I know that's my prayer. God, only you can do it. Only he can do it. Only he can turn this place around. Only he can turn this community and nation around. And unless he does it, we're done for. We need him. We need him. And as the people of God, what can we do? If my people will call by my name, will humble themselves, will pray, will seek my face, will turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven then I will forgive their sin, then I will heal their land. God is the only one who can do it, but we can start praying. We can start preparing the ground and saying, God, we want you. We long for you. Use us. Move in and through us. You know, the God of the great awakening is the same God tonight. He hasn't changed. The one who caused all that to happen is our God. And if he's able to cause a great awakening back in the 1700s, he's able to cause a great awakening in 2019. Something that would bring glory and honor to him. That would not be about a church. It would not be about a person. It would be all about him. That he would be lifted up and people would come to him. Amen. Shall we pray? Amen. And we're just going to pray tonight. For God to come and God to awaken again. And you know, let's be open tonight. Let's be honest with the Lord. You know where you are. This is between you and God. You know your life. But you know, my prayer is God awaken my heart. Awaken my soul. Move in me by your spirit again. Use me, Lord, as however you want to use me, wherever you want to use me, just use me for your glory. And you know my prayer. And let's pray pray for it as a church tonight. God, awaken your church. And yeah, we can point the finger at other churches, but let's pray. God, awaken Gateway Church tonight. Awaken us tonight. We get started in us. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe. And check out our podcast channel for past episodes. For more content from Gateway and to connect with us, Go to Gateway Church Have a great day.